Kurt, our senior pastor, is doing great. Again, if you're new to East Point, or, uh, I am not the senior pastor. Kurt Bubna is. And uh, yes, his last name is Bubna. Just say it. Get it over with. Um, and he is doing awesome. And he had, can- he had some cancer in his prostate. It was removed. It was very, very, very successful. He is, is healing at an accelerated rate. So, so praise the Lord. He's getting good, you know. Back in uh, uh, January 03, I, I planted the church with Kurt, uh, Joe and I did, and uh, of course our, our spouses, and, and it's been an honor. I've always tried to be very faithful to Kurt, and, and I knew that he was going to be going through a lot with this surgery, so I thought, you know, what could I do to show that I'm empathetic, that I care for Kurt, that I love Kurt? And I thought, why not just lift something heavy and give myself a hernia? So, so I found something, you know, and blew that baby out, and hey, the same day we had surgery. That is faithfulness. Hey, what would Jesus do? Okay? In case you're wondering, I won't do that for all my friends. Yeah. No, he's, he's doing great. I'm, I'm uh, you know, it wasn't as serious as Kurt's. So I'm, I'm definitely doing much better. Thanks for your prayers for me. I feel, I feel good. But isn't it nice when you've got some faithful friends? Faithfulness is great. It's especially great if you're married. All right? It's faithfulness in a marriage is a good thing. Faithfulness between your siblings is nice because, you, you know, you, they're reliable. They're loyal. There's some trustworthiness. But you guys, when it comes to faithfulness, nothing is probably as important as your barista. You know, it's just, I mean, come on. Amen. Let's pray for him. Look, it's, <laughs> I went and got my Starbucks this morning. And you know what? No matter where you are, it's, a, it's, it's, it's Starbucks is always so good. It doesn't matter. I... I was blessed to fly with United a few weeks ago. I don't know if you heard, but their computer systems crashed, so I, I had a 30-hour trip back to Spokane from the East Coast. You know, and, um, but, but I tell you, there was a lot of faithfulness on behalf of Starbucks in that 30-hour in that period for me, and I'm grateful for their loyalty and for their reliability and their trustworthiness. So I love, I love that. That's right. But there's a book. There is a book that describes faithfulness like none other. John, what do you think it is? Um. Okay, the next person. <laughs> Anyone want to guess? The Bible. Wrong. No, that's not it. It's this one right here. Horton hatches the egg. Someone needs to go to church more. Yeah. It's Horton hatches the egg. That is one faithful guy. Have you ever read that story by Dr. Seuss? There's none like it. Of course, you're right. It's true. But Horton was very impressive in this book. If you don't know the story, this is the story. Horton is this giant elephant, right? He's kind of just walking through the woods one day or the forest or the jungle, wherever he lives. And Maisie the lazy bird is sitting on her nest. And she says, hey, hey, could you uh, come up here and just give me a break for a little bit? And Horton says, well, yeah, I can do that. I promise I'll do that. I'll, come, I'll give you a break. So he climbs up on this little nest and he sits on this egg and, and she basically says she'll be right back, but she leaves and decides not to come back for 51 weeks. That's how much time passed. So Horton has to struggle with whether or not he's going to be faithful to his commitment. And tried and true, he does, through thick and thin. This guy, through the threat of, of horrible weather, he sits on that nest all winter long. Right? There's icicles hanging off his trunk. 
right? He, 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 he deals the threat of death. These hunters come, and they're just about ready to shoot him, and they're like, that's really weird. He's sitting on the nest. So they, so they take him into captivity. They stick him on a boat, and they haul him across the ocean, and they put him in front of all these people who mock him and make fun of him and reject him because he's sitting on this nest. And on top of all that, his friends, all his little animal friends were mocking him and making fun of him. Making fun of him. But, but Horton always said this amazing thing when somebody challenged him and said, oh, just give up, come down from there. He said this, he said, I meant what I said, I said what I meant, an elephant is faithful 100%. Well, that's the message today, let's pray. No, it's not. I always thought Horton, Horton was the poster child for faithfulness. I, I just was really impressed by that. But you know who else is faithful, guys? Jesus is. And it's true, the Bible definitely teaches a lot on faithfulness. But Jesus is faithful. He's 100% faithful. God is faithful. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about our faithfulness and God's faithfulness. And we're going to explore how to grow in that. So let's begin with some prayer. Father, I do pray, oh man, God, I just pray that my words are yours. I do. I, I want to give you this, this next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it ends up being, God. I, I just pray that my words would, would be used by you. I pray that each of us would leave here challenged, Father, to be more faithful to you and more faithful to each other. I ask that all in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God is faithful 100%. That's number one on your outline if you like writing notes. God is faithful 100%, but here's the thing. Many of us don't buy that. I know at times I've struggled with that. I've wondered, is God really faithful? Because, you know, my mom just died of cancer. I mean, she, well, she died of cancer when I was 15. My dad died of cancer just a few years ago. It makes you just go, God, where are you? You ever deal with mental illness? I have a brother who was very successful in high school and in college who developed schizophrenia, and it ruined his life like that. God, where are you? You ever know anybody who got a strange disease or a sickness or struggled with something long term? And you're just like, God, this, this guy's a person, this, this person, this gal, this, they're, they're good people. Why are they struggling? What's going on? And we equate the badness in this world, the struggles with this world to God's faithfulness. And I want to challenge you in that. And here's why. God's not the only variable in the, in, in the equation. God's not the only person, the only thing that can affect our life. I just want to take a minute to think about that. First off, he gave us freedom of choice, right? So who can be really good at hurting themselves? We can. We can choose to do things that are wise and smart, and we can choose to do things that are unwise and evil. We can make choices like that that draw us towards God or even push us away from him. So we each have the ability to do good or do bad. That, that affects, affects us. If God, God wants a loving relationship with us. If he's going to have a loving relationship with us, he has to give us the freedom to not love him. And mankind has certainly chosen to love him and not to love him. Others can cause a lot of hurt in our world, in our lives. Other people have been known to kill other people, to hurt other people. In fact, I would argue that most of the pain and suffering in this world is caused by others. Others. In, in 24 hours, the next 24 hours, 28,000 people will die of starvation in the next day. 28,000. 18,000 of them will be children. 
I have a hard time believing that if mankind truly loved his or her neighbor as himself or herself, that that number would be a little lower. Think of the political wars we've fought, the things we've been part of that, that have just been dark. So we can hurt ourselves, others can hurt us, and, and then the Bible talks about this, this strange kind of mystery thing called spiritual warfare that's very real. See, God didn't just give mankind f- freedom of choice or free will. He gave angels the same thing. And a third of them decided to rebel against him and focus on their own selfishness. And they have committed themselves to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy, and to attack God's plan and to attack God's people. And read Ephesians 6 sometime. It talks about this, the, the demonic realm being a, of, of principalities and powers, which means they're pretty well structured. They know what they're doing. And they move against us. And that's just, that's just mind-blowing for me. But read Ephesians 6 sometimes. It's really interesting. Romans 8 talks about a chaotic state that the world is in. In other words, it says that the world has been affected by sin somehow. And then the Bible kind of goes silent on this, but I've often thought about that and pondered that and wondered about that. There's a fallenness to the world. In Romans, it says that, that creation itself cries out for the return of Christ. And I've often thought about how do we, you know, how does that affect me? You know, and there is, there's this dichotomy. There's this interesting thing in creation. For example, take a deep breath once. Feels good because those lungs, the air is thin enough to go into our lungs and give us oxygen and it feels good. But if I dive off this stage, that air will not be thin enough to keep me from hitting the ground and hurting myself, right? The water that quenches our thirst, if we try to breathe, will drown us. I don't, there's all these things that just point at the fact that God's not the only equation, and I don't know why there's pain and suffering. I, I'm still asking why. I'm still asking why. I've seen too much of it. I don't know why there is, but I do know one thing. Everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God. A few years ago, I was driving down I-90, and they were doing a ton of construction. Thank the Lord, that's over. <laughs> you know? Every five years, is that what we do? Like, every five, tear it up, you know, start doing it again. But about ten years ago, I'm driving down I-90. They're doing construction for that decade. And... Um, and it was the strangest thing. I'm going 50 miles an hour, and I know we all stick to that on I-90, right? I'm going 50 miles an hour, and I'm driving. It's kind of a quiet drive that morning, and I've never seen anything like this, but there is this forklift off to the side, but pretty close to the road, and it's lifting like a two or maybe 300-gallon cement mixer with its forks or whatever, you know? It lifts this thing up, right? I'm about 20 feet from it. I'm going 50 miles an hour, and as it lifts, the, the, the concrete mixer slips off to the side towards the road, and it lands right on that little concrete barrier. Now, if it bounces to the left, I'm an organ donor, okay? <laughs> if it bounces to the right, God is good, right? <laughs> well, needless to say, it bounced to the right. Do you ever just feel the blood just kind of drain from your face? Because I saw that thing just wham, hit that, and then bounce to the right. And I, in an instant, said, Lord, thank you for my life. Thank you for my life because my life's good. <laughs> My life's good. And it just was a short reminder just in that moment that God is good. Everything good comes from God. And, you know, and me not getting crushed by that that day was a good thing. And so I gave God the glory for that. James 1.17, James wrote this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
Listen, not only is God responsible for the goodness in our lives, but God's faithfulness is not ambiguous. If you look at the title of today's message, it's ambiguous faithfulness. God is not ambiguous. He is constantly faithful. Ambiguity causes us to fall into confusion. We tend to change the meaning of things. We go from one direction to the next when we experience ambiguity. That is not God. When it comes to God and his word, God meant what he said, and he said what he meant because God is faithful 100%. 100%. If God said he loves you, God loves you. You can count on that. If God said that he'd protect you, he'll protect you. Now, it, it, that's, a, that's a confusing thing for us because we often think, well, geez, what if you did get smashed on that drive? You know what? The gates of heaven would have been open and I would have been standing with Jesus saying, hey, you protected me. You know, I get to be with him a billion years from now. I'd say that ultimately he's going to protect me. If God says, listen, you're forgiven. You're in relationship with me. You're forgiven. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. I knew, I knew years and years ago, I knew this guy who, when he was 12 years old, got into a fight and he knifed someone and killed them. At 12 years old. But I'm happy to say, that, you know, 20 some years later, he's a full-time pastor down in Texas. Because he learned that when he's forgiven, man, you're forgiven. When Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven. You can let that go. That mistake, that sin, whatever it was, doesn't need to define you. You can let it go. If God says you're a new creation, believe it, trust it, because he is faithful 100%. We get a lot of do-overs with him. His faithfulness is described throughout the Bible from beginning to end. I wouldn't have enough time to read all the verses, but I picked one out of Deuteronomy. It's, it's chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. A covenant is like a super promise. Oh, he's faithful. Jesus, the Messiah, who is also God, in scripture, is described as the faithful one. Isaiah said that the Messiah would be clothed in faithfulness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He's faithful to us. He's a faithful God. Uh, the New Testament says he's the faithful one, the, a faithful witness, the faithful high priest. Jesus is faithful. And despite the bad stuff that happens around us and in this world, Jesus is faithful and at work doing good stuff. When Jesus was talking to the disciples and even some Pharisees once, he said this, and this is in John 5. He says, you guys, my father is always at his work, even to this day, and I too am working. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, right? He didn't mean that he was building sheds out back, okay? He's working on your life. He's working on my life. Jesus saves. That song we just sang, Jesus saves, that is his work. That's his job. That's his goal. He saves and he's faithful at that. He's 100% faithful at the work in your life. The good you see, honor God with it because that shows that he is at work. When good things happen, he is ultimately responsible. Now, although Horton is 100% faithful and God is 100% faithful, I've got some shocking news. I know it's gonna be hard to hear, but people are not 100% faithful. We're not, we're not. A couple of years ago, I, I put a lot of faith into I guess someone who is pretty important to me. And, um, you know, it's tough when, when you get disappointed when things go in a direction you, you really didn't hope for. And, and this, this person 
really disappointed me. And in fact, the only way I can really describe it is I, and I don't know if I should do this, but I'm doing it anyways, but I'm actually going to show a picture of him up on the screen. So let's go ahead and put that up. Yeah, the Viking fans are not laughing. You're, you're feeling my pain. Brett Favre, a few years ago, when he joined the Minnesota Vikings, I was like, Brett Favre's joining who? Brett Favre was like Neo from the Matrix, the chosen one, right? He was going to take Vikings to the Super Bowl. We were going to finally do it, and if you're a Vikings fan, you just ache for that. Just wondering if it's ever going to happen. And so when, when Favre came on the team, I said, do you see how he's throwing? He's having the best year he's ever had in his life. And he did. He literally had the best year he's ever had in his life. He threw great. He ran great. He did a lot of things really, really well. In fact, throughout the season, I was like, he is the man. No one is better than Favre. If you want world peace, we need to parachute Favre into the Middle East because it'll happen in two days. You got heart disease? Favre will cure it. You know? You want to cut the price in gas in half? Put Favre on that. It'll happen. Come on. Let's thank the Lord for Favre. I was into Favre until he started doing things like falling down and handing the ball a lot to the other team and bumping his head and then just not being able to do much for a few weeks after that. You know, and, and I have to say my faithfulness in, in Favre just kind of waned. I, I, I was, like any good Fairweather fan, I was like, you know, just a few months into the new season, I was like, hey, you know, Favre, yeah, he's okay. I think we could trade him for, you know, a good rookie. <laughs> you know, or, you know, Favre, this is, this is the, you know someone's done in the NFL if someone's going, hey, you know, he should coach. He should become a coach. Yeah, he'd be good at that. He used to be able to throw really good. Or start a restaurant, right? That's a lot of... These guys, they all start restaurants for like two years and then they circle the drain, right? But I was very fair-weathered fan. And, and see, the problem with us humans, the trouble with our faithfulness, is that we have a lot of ambiguity in it. It's inconsistent. We change our minds. We go back and forth on things that we try to be committed to and faithful to. And, and granted, being a sports fan, that is a fair-weather kind of fan kind of thing. It, and in one moment, we might be faithful and, and the next, we're not. We definitely do, we don't hit 100% on that. But sometimes we act like Maisie the bird. Remember her? This is uh, from Horton again. There's Maisie, she's leaving her egg, right? And, and, and sometimes we act like her. And I know it's kind of a cute book and it's kind of funny, but, but how many times have we been unfaithful regarding things that really count? I mean, basically, she's leaving her child. Her child's going to get sit on by an elephant. I don't know how safe that is, Right? How many times have we compromised our faithfulness with our family, with our kids, with our spouse? How many times have we been unfaithful maybe at our job, with our friends at school? We blow it. We don't hit 100% on this. We drop below that mark. In fact, it makes me think of Peter often, of just, I can relate to Peter because, you know, when... When I've been unfaithful at times, I feel like God has kind of warned me, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I feel like God has given me a heads up about things. But how many of us have actually stood before Jesus and have Jesus say, okay, here's the deal, dude. In about 24 hours or so, you're going to reject me three times. I mean, I, I kind of think Jesus was maybe telling him that so he wouldn't do it. Right? And Peter's like, no way! And what happens? 
he rejects Jesus three times. Hey, don't you know Jesus, the guy that's getting crucified? No way, man. I don't know the guy. Unfaithfulness. But to be honest, it comforts me. It comforts me to know that God chooses to work with the faithfulness that we do have. It might not be 100%. Maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's 50%. Maybe it's 90%. God will take it. God takes it. In fact, in Hebrews 11, go home. Write that down on your notes. Go home. Read Hebrews 11. It is an awesome passage about all these great heroes throughout the Bible from beginning to end. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. And it talks about these heroes who are praised for their faith and their faithfulness. But I would argue that most of them did not score 100% in faithfulness. Read the list. Go through it. Many of these guys dropped the ball, just like Favre, right? They weren't much better than Peter or you or me. They blew it at times. I think in Noah, people tend to know, you know Noah's ark, that kind of thing. Noah, he liked to drink a little too much. Abraham. God promised Abraham he would have tons, thousands of children. He didn't buy it. He doubted God in that. Took things into his own hands. Moses. God wanted Moses to lead the Israelites, right? But Moses frustrated God with his excuses of trying not to lead. Frustrated God. Rahab is a gal who's on this list. And she did some great things for the Israelites. But she was a prostitute. Prostitute on this list. Gideon. Gideon was this coward who was literally hiding from the, from the people that God wanted him to confront and deal with. And King David, do you think he scored 100%? Well, he liked to score. <laughs> All right? Golly. Sorry, PG-13, okay? Well, he did. You know, he committed adultery, he committed murder, and he often took things into his own hands, and he paid the price for it. It was hard on him. I don't think he scored 100%. But perhaps what God is looking for isn't perfection in our faithfulness. Perhaps what God is looking for is our willingness to make a change. Our willingness to just go before God and say, God, I, I, I need to change. I, I need something. I, I need to move away from this selfishness and this sinfulness because I'm just feeling stuck in it. I, I need you. I need your help. And we, and we make that turn and we go towards God. Perhaps that's what God is looking for. Psalms 51 says this, verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The sacrifices, the things that are important to God, the things that God actually accepts, that he values, is a broken spirit. Lord, I need you. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. It says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, faith is important. Faith plays a role. But what he's looking is that contrite, that heart that's willing to repent, that's willing to turn towards him and say, God, not my will, but yours. Perhaps that's what God's looking for. Perhaps that's it. One of the most precious prayers, I think, that we can pray is just, God, have mercy on me. Help me. Help me to live the life that you want for me, not the life that I think will give me life. People are not 100% faithful. We're not. But God is looking for people who will honestly give what they got, even if it's not 100%. So with that said, number three on your outline, 
aim to be faithful in your relationship with God. Even if you miss the target from time to time, aim to be faithful with him. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, and, uh, and if there was anything that I learned growing up there is there was a moral law in the Bible. Hallelujah. You know? There was some do's and don'ts, and we just follow them because we love the Lord. You know? And, and, there, and that's some, there's some truth to that. There is. But I grew up at, at a very young age. I understood there is a moral law. You think of the Ten Commandments. Think of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And the challenge he, he posed in that, go read that sometime. He says some interesting things where he's basically saying, you need to give everything to God. You need to sacrifice everything and follow him. In fact, I'd argue that, that Jesus asks quite a bit in terms of faithfulness to him. In John 14, verse 15, he says this, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's Jesus. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And of course, his top two commands was love God with all you got. Heart, mind, and soul, give it all to him. The second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy as yourself. Jesus challenged on the, on the mount. Love your enemy. Love the Taliban as yourself. I have friends that have died fighting those guys. I didn't think, hey, let's go plant a church. I thought, let's uh, make a few lakes, you know. I wasn't happy. I was hurt. You know, I, I said I did the funeral for a friend who fought those guys. And I, but you know what? Jesus wants me to capture that thought and, and, and to say, you know what, even the Taliban, even Al-Qaeda have eternal worth and value because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We don't have to like the garbage they do. Mm-mm. But we do need to see that Jesus loves them. We do. We need to see that. Jesus preached a standard of holiness. He did. Be holy as, 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 as God is holy. He preached that. But he always relates to us through a scandalous grace. It's kind of a term that Pastor Jeff uses. I love that. Jesus asks us to aim for holiness, but he relates to us through grace. He knows we are going to blow it. He knows that we need help and that he needs to work on us. He knows it. John 14, right where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey, he also says this. He also, I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, okay, guys, here's the thing. I'm going to leave. I'm no longer going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is going to remind you what I like. And that Holy Spirit's going to work on your heart. So we aim for faithfulness, and His Holy Spirit reminds us. And I think the Holy Spirit reminds us at key moments. You know what I'm talking about? No? Just me? Okay. Let's pray. No. When I was in eighth grade, I grew up kind of in, a, well, I did grow up in the inner city. And when I was in eighth grade, I was with a rough crowd. And um, I, I uh, got in a lot of trouble. One of the things we used to do near the end of the day was that the last class I attended was our woods class. And so me and this kid named Ed and, a, and three or four other kids, um, as soon as the teacher turned around to write something on the chalkboard or tell us what we were going to do, we had those windows that opened outward that didn't have screens we would open them and we would quietly roll out of them, thinking that the teacher wouldn't notice that five students were missing. <laughs> he didn't see us, you know, it's just, oh my gosh. And we would run around, we'd leave school early and we would terrorize the neighborhood and other kids and other, it was terrible. And, and this kid named Ed especially was our leader and he was just not a good kid to be around. 
And we would often go downtown. Sometimes we'd jump on the bus just to kill time because we were supposed to be in class. And we'd go downtown and run around. And, and one day he took us all downtown, our little gang, right? And he stopped and he said, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to earn us some money and some stuff. He goes, you see that store over there? We're going to rob it. I don't want any wusses here. And he went around, he gave each of us a job, and I'll never forget, he pointed right at me, and this kid was scary. I was almost six feet tall in eighth grade. This kid was bigger than me, okay? And so I didn't want to die, but, um, but Ed, he looked at me and said, Alquist, this is your job. You're going to pull the phone cord out of the wall so that the owner or anybody else in that place doesn't get any funny idea about calling the cops. This is before cell phones, you know? Well, the Holy Spirit had a quick one-on-one chat with me at that moment. And I heard two things from God because, again, I had grown up in the church. I, I really hadn't solidified, I think, a true walk with Christ. But the Holy Spirit was really talking to me at that point. And he said, Brian, get out of there. First thing I heard. Okay? And in an instant, I heard a second thing, which was, Brian, this is not you. Eighth grade. You know, believe me, in eighth grade, there was not a lot of deep thoughts for me. Maybe other eighth graders. I was fascinated by small, shiny objects. But I'll never forget that. I really felt like God said that. And in a moment, I heard that, and I looked at Ed, and I said, Ed, you are crazy, man. And I turned around, and I left. I never went back to that gang. In fact, my parents moved me out of that neighborhood the next year, which was good, because I probably would have ended up having a career at a state prison somewhere. It would have been ugly. But what would have happened if I would have said yes to Ed? I could have been pretty ugly. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me at, at, at a pretty important moment at a key moment. Obedience, you guys, is an act of love. It's an act of love that awakens us to who we are truly meant to be. See, when we choose to follow Christ, he frees us to be who we truly are, who he created us to be. Sin, when we get stuck in sin, the Bible says it hinders us. And it even redefines us. It turns us into something ugly that we were not created to be. And that is Satan's plan. On the other hand, Christ wants us to walk in freedom in the hope that he has for us. And his Holy Spirit will speak to us at those right moments. Will we listen? I think that's what the heroes listed in Hebrews 11 figured out. I think that they figured out that despite their imperfections, Despite their imperfections, there were moments they better listen to God. They better tune in. Noah, yeah, yeah, he he liked a lot of wine, okay. He listened to God, right? If he didn't build an ark in the middle of the desert, right? Bye-bye human race, I guess. I don't know. I think God would have came up with a plan B, you know, but I don't know. Noah could have rejected God and just said, you're crazy, and kept, kept growing. He was a man of the soil, it said, and kept growing, you know, a vineyard. Moses. As frustrating he might have been to God, you know what it says? It it says he could have been royalty. He was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't have to worry about these slaves, these Jews. He could have lived as a prince, literally a prince of Egypt. That would have been an amazing life, huh? Anybody here live as a prince? But instead, this is what the word says. This is what Hebrews, uh, which is in the Bible, it says about Moses, it said that Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Because that's what sin will do. You think, you know, it's going to give you life, but in the long run, boy, it doesn't. Moses wanted to live as he truly knew he could be. He wanted to live as he, as he truly was. And God wants us to live as we truly are. Gideon, 
was hopelessly outnumbered by the enemy. But God led him to a victory because he was obedient. And King David, you know, we, 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 there's so many stories about King David. But you know what? Ultimately, ultimately, when I look at King David, I think humility and repentance. Nobody did it better than David in the Bible. And you know what God does throughout all of Scripture? He points at David and he says, look at David, look at him. Yeah, I know he's made some dumb choices. I know he's not 100% faithful all the time. But man, this is a man after my own heart. Wow. That gives me some hope. Doesn't give you some hope. Doesn't that, I mean, just knowing that we can't, we don't have to score 100% on that. We need to aim for faithfulness to God because it is worth it. We need to value what he values and desire what he desires because it's good for us. Listen to Philippians 4. I just love this passage. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why do you think Paul wrote that? Because those things come from God. Capture your thoughts, Scripture says, and give them to the Lord. Think about those things. And then Paul says an interesting thing here. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. In other words, I'm discipling you. I'm telling you about Christ. I'm teaching you about his word. Put that into practice. And I love this last part. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you'll have peace in your life. There will be hardships. We will see some terrible things. But you can have peace during that. See a lot of good things too. Be faithful to God and the things of God and peace will be with you. I think of... uh, My friend Tom, he, he was in the last service. He just lost his wife uh, a couple days ago of cancer. And, and I, I've, I've called Tom a lot. And I asked him, I said, Tom, how you doing? And he said, and, and you know how you, you don't hear a laugh, but you, you, you hear the peace, you hear the joy in someone's voice. And he just said, Brian, I, I'm good because I know Jesus is good and he loves me. And I tell you, I've never felt the presence of the Holy Spirit like I do right now. And that was in the presence of losing his wife who I knew and I'll miss. But it just blessed me to hear that from him. What faith, what faithfulness. I couldn't say that last service. I would have just bawled for 10 minutes, you know. But he's so faithful in that. It just blessed me. Jesus told us to love God. Do that with the best of your ability. Give him all you got because he'll help you love others. He will. He told us to love God, and Jesus did tell us to love others. So it is important, number four in your outline, that we aim to be faithful in our relationship with others. Even if we miss the target from time to time, you aim for that faithfulness when it comes to loving other people and being faithful to them. Great passages in 1 Thessalonians, another another great passage that tells us how to faithfully serve and bless others that are part of the Christian community and outside of it. It goes, it goes this way, uh, Thessalonians 5, verses 14 through 18. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. That's a fair thing to do. You know, get out there, serve, do some good things. Encourage the timid. You can do it. Help the weak. Help them lift things, especially if they've had a recent hernia, right? Be patient with everyone. That sounds cool. I can practice that. Make sure that nobody uh, pays back wrong for wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. Revenge can get ugly. Always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. What a beautiful passage. Great reminder on how to relate to our community. I mean, this is why we do the summer of service. 
This is why we can set an example that, that Christians really do main, mean what they say and they will do what they say. Be joyful always. Lots of reasons to be joyful, even in the midst of hardship. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage. I love these kind of zoomed out, not so intimate passages that challenge you to love people as a group and as a whole because it's not too scary. You know, you can do that. But there's other passages <laughs> and, uh, that, that sound a little harder. Now listen to this. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brother, brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual or mature should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When he says carry each other's burdens, he's talking about the temptations. Help that person through these temptations that are sucking them into the dark side, you know, into the orbit of evil. And we have friends that have struggled with stuff like that. We've struggled with that. And it's, he wrote, in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and to love people. In other words, Paul is telling us, listen, talk to people you are close to who are blowing it in their life. Talk to your friends. That's part of being faithful. And when we do that, when we correct, when we admonish, right, when we challenge people, we have to do it from a position of relationship. You know, I know, it, it would feel great to always correct somebody who did something stupid or sinful. Wouldn't that, it would kind of feel good, wouldn't it? No, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of like, hey, stop that. But we're supposed to restore people gently, not open their mouth and insert Bible. <laughs> That's ugly, right? The reason why relationship is so important is that, is that correction becomes a possibility, even though it's painful or uncomfortable. Do you know the Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted? Wounds from a friend can be trusted, Close friends have permission to speak into one another's lives. Close friends are qualified to, hard, to say the hard things. And sometimes those hard things will save a person. I used to work as an RN. And about 20 years ago, I lit someone on fire. <sighs> Probably a good thing I'm a pastor now. I, I was working, uh, it was my first job, working as a registered nurse. And I uh, was down in the Tri-Cities, which was an interesting experience all in and of itself. Um, great sailing down there, though. But I was working in the ER, and I used to golf with this guy named Craig, who was a doctor, and he knew I was a graduate nurse at the time, and he said, hey, Brian, we got to get you in there. You got to shock somebody. You got to light him up. Well, I didn't think he knew what he was talking about at this point. And I was like, you want, you want me to shock someone? He goes, yeah, come down to the ER, and we will spend a little bit of time down there, and when someone comes in and they're having a heart attack, dude, I will give you the paddles, and you can light them up. It'll be awesome. And I'm thinking, dude, you are more, what? What are you talking about? That sounds, you know, that kind of thing. And so I'm working the ER one night. Things are kind of slow, and the doors swing open, and there's this guy, pretty young guy in his 30s. He comes rolling in. He's having a heart attack, right? And so we get him on the table, and I'm going, oh, Lord, please, I don't want to shock him. 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 And while I'm saying that, his heart goes into what's called fibrillation, ventricular fibrillation, and you have to shock them. Now, and Craig goes, here's your opportunity, man. Grab the paddle, shock him, light him up. Not a good phrase to use. <laughs> because this guy was a gorilla. He looked like an X-Men, you know? Like the beast or something. I'm like, what is wrong? Is this, is this the Hanford thing? Radiation? I don't know, you know? What is this? Ah, ooh, ooh. ah, 
you know? And he had nitroglycerin paste on him. Now, have you ever watched Looney Tunes? Nitroglycerin blows up. And so I look at Craig and I go, Doc, that's nitroglycerin. Isn't he going to explode? And he goes, no, dude, you got to shock him, shock him now. So I grabbed the pads, put the gel on, and I shocked him, and three things happened. The first thing is that fire jumped three feet into the air. Okay? The second thing is that it worked. And he woke up and went, ah! And the last thing is me and the rest of the ER staff huddled around him and blew on him like a giant birthday cake. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Welcome to Sacred Heart. Do you think? <laughs> and I'm looking at Craig going, Looney Tunes. Should have taught that in med school. Later on that night, I went up to the ICU and, and I saw this guy. I talked with him. He had second degree burns all over his chest. Uh, his, the hair was all gone. Um, I was like, oh, that's what you look like, you know? And what's interesting is he said, hey, man, were you the one that shocked me? <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he said, hey, thanks. Thanks. And I'll never forget that. And guys, you know, there's times in our relationships and our friendships where we're going to have to say hard things. And it's going to be shocking. And it's going to get ugly. Hopefully your friend won't burst into flames, you know. <laughs> but do the hard thing. Talk to that friend who's drinking too much. Talk to that friend who's not treating their spouse right. Talk to that friend who is sinning in some way because you love them. And do it because you have a relationship with them. That, you guys, that is faithfulness. It really is. Show faithfulness. I know, I, I know it's easier to do when it's easy, but it's important to do it when it's hard too. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And uh, How many of you know how uh, Horton sits on an egg ends? Anybody know? Nobody knows? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. This will only take like a half an hour. All right, here's the, the conclusion of Horton hatches an egg or whatever it's called. No. I just love this. So Horton sits on this egg for 51 weeks and it begins to hatch. And I'll pick it up right here. And the people came shouting, what's all this about? They looked and they stared with their eyes popping out. And they cheered and they cheered and they cheered more and more. They'd never seen anything like it before. My goodness, my gracious, they shouted, my word. It's a brand new thing. It's an elephant bird. <laughs> and it should be, it should be, it should be like that. Because Horton was faithful. And he sat and he sat. And he meant what he said and he said what he meant. And they sent him home happy. 100%. Listen to what Jesus said. Talk about sending us home. He said this, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That is a beautiful passage. Beautiful passage because when we are faithful to Christ, when we are loving God and we are loving others, we will spend eternity happy 100%. 100%.
that's what my friend Michelle is doing right now, man. She's, she's with Jesus, with Jesus, happy 100%. But to be faithful, to be faithful, you've got to give your faith. And in our culture especially, that means our, our belief, our world system, the way, uh, our, our world view maybe, the way we view how things work, we've got to give our faith to Christ. And some of you are here today, and, and you know, you've thought about that. You're kind of chewing on, hey, do I, do I believe what Jesus really said? Do I buy into that? And I want to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with Christ this morning. Because this is what Jesus said. He said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one, no one can know the Father but through him. Jesus said that it's only through the Son that we can know the Father. If we have the Son, then we have the Father because they're one. But if we don't have the Son, we don't have the Father. And I know, I know, I don't know all of you here, but I know some of you have been wrestling with this. You've been thinking about becoming a Christ follower, follower in this morning. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna say a prayer in just a moment. And if you're ready, if you're at that place, I want you to quietly, just to yourself, I want you to say that prayer with me, okay? So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Again, if you're here, just quietly to yourself, say this prayer. Father, um, I'm not 100% faithful, I'm not. I need you, I need your help. I wanna switch directions, God, because my life, my life the way I've figured it out, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, I just keep messing it up. I, I keep thinking things will give me life that don't, but Jesus, I see that you do. And you know what, I, th I think I want that. I know I want that. So Jesus, I ask you to just come into the deepest part of who I am. Come into my heart. Come into my thoughts. Because from this moment on, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. And I'm all in. I'm all in. And I ask that in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Now listen, if you said that prayer, God is faithful 100%. Holy Spirit will rest on you, will rest in you 100%. God will speak to you and he will grow you and he will bless you. I want you to keep that in mind. And guys, it says that when even just one person gives their life to Christ, there's a party in heaven. And so I think that's pretty cool. Michelle gets to be part of the party now. You know, and I love that. I love this. This is what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. Uh, if you're a regular tender here at East Point, I encourage you just to support the ministry here. So you can prepare your, your tithe or your offering. And uh, Joe and Betsy and the rest of the team, they're going to lead us in worship as we give.